Amanda here. Love that I get to introduce our fundraising heyday listeners to Boyd Grants. Need to up your grants game? Boyd Grants can help. Owner Allison Boyd has her GPC and is a wonderful volunteer and business person dedicated to advancing the grants profession. From mentoring and training to grant development, writing and research, the team at Boyd Grants is exactly who you seek for grant success. Boyd Grants works with nonprofits, higher education, law enforcement, and municipalities. Check them out at boydgrants.com. Well, hello there. I'm Kimberly Hayes Day Muga. And I'm Amanda Day. And you are listening to Season 3 of the Fundraising Heyday Podcast. We are a dynamic duo bringing you insight and knowledge into the ever-evolving world of grants, development, and fundraising. It's also a real possibility that we'll break into song, mm-hmm. talk about pie, Yum. or refer to you dear listeners as y'all. Yep. And we hope all y'all will subscribe to the Fundraising Heyday podcast. This podcast is brought to you by our Season 3 sponsor, D.H. Leonard Consulting and Grant Writing Services. Hey, don't let grants stress you out. Their team can help you with grant readiness and training, grant research, grant writing, and grant mock review. Did you know that with every Fundraising Heyday episode, we create a coordinating blog post on their website, dhleonardconsulting.com. Check it out today. Now, last season, we did an episode entitled Rip from the Headlines, Grants Gone Bad. Dun, dun, dun! dun! Yeah, horror music. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Um, I have to admit, it was one of my favorite episodes, really because it never ceases to amaze me how individuals and organizations will lie, cheat, and steal when it comes to grant funding. We are simpatica, mi amiga, on this one. Also, it's not that we want to make fun, although there probably is going to be some fun making going on, but it's just such a valuable learning tool about what's happening on a larger scale, because I'm sure that every grant professional or fundraising professional in whatever stage of your career you might be in, if it hadn't happened to you yet, it's coming, dealing with a coworker, a boss, or a board member who doesn't quite get, for example, that if you give a donation for a specific purpose or to name a specific thing or building, that's where that money's got to go. Or if you write a grant for a specific program and it's restricted to that program or project, that's where the money should stay because there are always rules and regs associated with each award. So what we'd like to do is just use some of the lessons learned from others who did not or could not or whatever not, follow a funder's requirements. And then we can learn from them. We might get a chuckle. There might be some a little bit of moral outrage or whatever makes get you through the day. But in the end, it's a teaching tool that can not only help you, it can help others. Because I don't know about you, but I would rather not be a focus of an investigative report that lands my organization or client in a sensational story about grant fraud. Same here. So why don't we go ahead and jump right in with some scary bad stories we can tell around the grant cubicle. All let's do, for the purposes of educating and learning. So let's do one more scary noise. One, okay. two, three. Ah! <laughs> that may not be that scary. That was a pollen scary noise. So here we go. 
So first up, I'd like to introduce you to the Florida Coalition Against Domestic Violence and the State of Florida. That already sounds ominous, doesn't it? I'm here for you. And you know, I, I know, I know it's too easy to fall into the trope of Florida man. So, <laughs> so I'm not going to do that, but I'm going to say Florida agency, and we're just going to get the ball rolling. So this information comes from an article um, from the Miami Herald, uh, published first on February the 13th, 2020, and it was written by Mary Ellen Kloss and Samantha J. Gross. And the title is, or the headline rather, is Five Million, that's dollars, in paid time off, question mark, records show domestic violence agency CEO got that and more. So a little background. The Florida Coalition Against Domestic Violence is a private domestic violence agency that was given sort of a a, a unique kind of status by Florida lawmakers as the sole source contract for the Department of Children and Families for Domestic Violence Funds, and that's both federal and state money. Each state is different, right, Amanda, on the way they handle yeah. things. But this, my, my spidey senses began tingling um, when I read that. I'm like, oh, sole source and private and public. Well, and but my guess, though, is that it's probably one of those things where the state had money to give. They probably didn't have the tools and resources to spread that out amongst the state. So instead, they probably went through some sort of process and said, okay, we're going to make this coalition be in charge of spreading okay, the wealth. Fair, so, fair. I mean, it's not like hiring a contractor to do work okay. you can't do. So, so, it's, I, so it's not it's, out of the ordinary, okay. but yeah. I, I think what happens next is a little out of the ordinary. Yes. So. So here we go. So this first turned up in, uh, uh, in a, a Form 990, which is basically a form of a tax return for agencies that do not pay taxes, such as nonprofits. And, you know, it's a long and often boring form, unless you realize you can really get up in somebody's business by looking at these public documents. So I'm just going to put that out there and say (laughs) that um, it was in uh, toward the end of June in 2017, the 990 form um, completed by the coalition states, because you got to, you got to say who are the top, I forget the wording, Amanda, but it's like, who are the top paid employees and your nonprofit, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, um, the CEO Tiffany Carr was paid seven hundred sixty-one thousand five hundred sixty dollars annually, and it was approved by her board. She received two pay raises over the course of two years, totaling three hundred and thirteen thousand four hundred seventy-five, which got her to that seven sixty-one plus some change mark. And I want to take a quick sidebar. I am not saying with this case study that nonprofit leaders do not deserve to be paid fair market value because they're so often underpaid and overworked. That's not what this is about. But this is about fair market value for work done, right? So years yeah. ago when I worked for Children's Health Care of Atlanta, every once in a while there'd be some editorial. Again, this is years ago. A uh, different CEO than 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 uh, the the Donna Highland, I believe, who's in charge now. But anyway, this is a huge organization. At the time I was there, they had three pediatric hospitals. Uh, campuses, if you will, and a host of urgent care centers, physical therapy, everything. And when I was there, and again, this was this was a long time ago. It was at least a million dollars a day just to open the doors. Mm-hmm. And so every once in a while, there'd be some sort of oh, nonprofits get, uh, CEOs get paid too much. 
you that, that 761 that's if you were managing this huge huge conglomerate you should at least be making something like that. Do you know what I'm saying? Hundreds yeah. and thousands of patients a year. You are managing a company, a big, big company that just happens to have a nonprofit status because of its mission. So again, I am not faulting. I, I, I think the reverse is true. I think that nonprofits often are limited by by their boards or other reasons, financial reasons for maybe underpaying their staff. But this gets pretty egregious. So let me keep going. And especially, I mean, her, her pay raises that got her to that amount, it was over the course of two years, she got basically a $313,000 pay raise over two years. Yeah. Which is a little bit more than the the 5% get when you're you're like, you were a good girl. Here's your 5%. I'm like, really? Um, but that's another story for another day. So yeah, so there was just that's a that's huge, and it is true that in the corporate world there are huge bonuses and huge golden parachutes and all this stuff. That does not make it right, my friends. That just means it exists in another world. So I digress. So she's making she's making over seven hundred grand, um, managing a statewide entity. Okay, but. See, the Department of Children and Families that oversees the coalition got wind of this because this was reported in a public document that one must fill out if, you know, if you want to maintain your status um, as a nonprofit agency. And so the the Department of Children and Families, often called DFACs in different states where you might be living, they ordered an audit. And uh, maybe we need another little sound there. Dun, dun, dun. And thereafter, shortly thereafter, the CEO of this coalition stepped down for significant health reasons. Okay. Yeah. Then, oh, no, 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 I'm just, things can happen. The this coalition receives, just to give you all a, a, an idea, the coalition receives about $50 million in state and federal government funds that they pass on to 42 domestic violence centers across the state of Florida. I'm going to guarantee you that no executive director in any of those Direct service domestic violence centers <laughs> was making seven hundred sixty-one thousand dollars or five hundred sixty-one thousand dollars. I would be, uh, yeah, I would be shocked. Mm-hmm. So what you have is a pass-through organization, which is cool. There's nothing wrong with that. But you, wow, that's that's a huge salary for that kind of work. So in October 2019. The coalition, this is where it gets good and juicy, refused to turn over membership lists, their general ledger, you know, where they keep track of money and stuff, personnel files containing compensation information for top executives, and minutes from board meetings to the Florida Department of Children and Families because, let's go back a second, that was the agency that supervises the work of this coalition. So here's what I'm saying. If you didn't do anything wrong, and your uh, supervising agency wants to see your books and they funnel all this money to you that you funnel to other agencies, I would say if there's nothing, there's no wrongdoing, maybe show them the books. This is, uh, Mm. I would say, Amanda, that's pretty common for site visits and the kind of audits that federal agencies would often want to visit upon people who are funded at a certain level. It's just normal business operation but this was a little step further because they were already smelling a rat so yeah because it's no different than federal agencies give money to state agencies state money give it to local those feds are investigating the state to make sure they're following all the proper rules and procedures so this is a state agency hand selected 
this organization to, to contract and do work for them. And so it's still, it's just one more layer of that federal bureaucracy. Yeah. And so, yeah, everybody's books are open when you're, when you're willingly accepting federal and state funds, your books are open. Straight, yeah, up. They are. straight up. So, so they were like, we don't have to do this. They, they, the, the, the coalition said they had no contractual obligation to do so. I'm kind of, uh, rolling my eyes a little that. bit, make some air quotes. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I feel you contractual. Let's see where we go with this. So then the Florida House of Representatives threatened to subpoena the co- the coalition's officials. So then, big surprise, they turned over more than 100,000 records. So I just, once you're at that stage, there was just some wrongdoing, okay? There's just, there's just the deal is going to go down. So the, what they um, found was interesting. Oh my yes! So the coalition's compensation committee—you remember the one that like gave like a hundred billion percent raise? That's development lady math um, <laughs> to the executive director. Um, was made up of shelter operators, right? The folks who receive funding from this pass-through, and friends of Carr, who was the executive director, who resigned for health reasons. Here's what. The executive director received, I'm sure it matches up exactly with what you um, might do if you work at an animal shelter or local government or um, a school. So let's just run down this list. This should sound very familiar to you. Ready? 50 days paid off time annually starting in 2010. Mm-hmm. Check. Okay. I'm trying I'm- to do the math. If she's gets 50 days off, how many is she actually working? Well, it gets better. There was an oh, increased, um, that was increased to a cash equivalent of 260 days of PTO in 2015 and 2016. So if you're keeping track at home, I just want to remind you that a year has 365 days. Okay. So just, just keep that, just, just put that in your pipe and smoke it a little bit. Here we go. Then the cash equivalent of 465 days of PTO in 2017. We are at a deficit. You are now getting paid for more days of vacation than there are in a year. Okay, just putting that out there. They stepped it back, though. They stepped it back. 360 days in 2018 and 2019. So you were at least under the 365 threshold, which gave you a good solid week of work. Of work. Out of the yeah, I mean, doesn't that sound like Amanda? How you used to work? Wasn't that your schedule? That was well, yeah. I mean, I can clock out some good work in a week, so yeah, why not? Yeah, why not? We're productive. Based on these kinds of records, so she received five million dollars in paid time off over four years. And remember that we're that's addition in addition to the salary. Mm-hmm. In addition to a car allowance and a salary. Okay, you know what? I'm not even mad at the car allowance because it's a state agency, but I'm still stuck on the, you got more paid time off than there are days in a year thing. So bear with me. So the total compensation was 541,000 in 2016, 2017, 1.4 million in 2017, 2018, 3.7 million and 2018, 2019, and then back down to a pittance, right? 1.7 million before she resigned. Now, yeah, I just, if you listen to the um, Enneagram episode, or maybe that's coming up, but that is in season three, it's already out. And you hear that I'm a reformer, right? Yeah, feel my reforming zeal coming through on this, because I'm already like, yeah, how many women fleeing domestic violence could have been helped. How many shelter beds, how many safe houses. Wow. Just, and 
Wow. You could have still have had an amazing executive director running yes. that organization for a fair and equitable price, right? And still doing all that good work. And um, there were some other, and I encourage you to, to to Google this and 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 look. There were some other folks who got kind of mar- uh, compensation far and above fair market value for the scope of work they were doing, the level of work they were doing. And I just also want to say that the coalition's board of directors is now lawyered up, and they they've refused to resign despite Florida legislatures urging them to. And I I don't care what kind of what side of the political bed you sleep on. But I just want to say that if the legislators are telling you that you're a corrupt girl, that's bad. I mean, that's bad. That's just, it's just nothing but bad. Um, So you may be saying, why does this matter? I'm thinking you probably aren't because this is pretty egregious, but but CEOs, again, nonprofit CEOs and staff, they should be paid well. And y'all, you should have computers that work and are from this century, right? Like <laughs> this decade, like the last couple of years. You need the tools you need to do the job and you need to take care of yourself. And and we all need health care and we all need time off. And I don't want to buy into this. Oh, you're doing it for the love of service because, you know, when you need a tooth pulled and your kid needs a, a doctor's visit and your um, air conditioning just quit on your car, you know, love of service is not going to fix those things. What's going to fix those things is fair compensation for the work you do. However, this was a great example of not fair, unfair, completely egregious compensation approved by friends of the CEO and the agencies over which this coalition had the purse strings. And that's just a recipe for a lot of disastrous overspending. Yeah. Well, and I think too, this is a good example of when we think grant fraud, so often we think it's someone stolen the money. Right. Like, literally from the grants and that certainly is grant fraud but it is there's so many other layers to it as well <clears throat> so let's talk about another story how about um let's bring harvard into the mix Ooh, and I, i'm gonna go off on a little tangent because one of my favorite movies of all time is legally blonde girl i knew you were gonna say that <laughs> I, y- y'all this was not rehearsed i'm like that's gonna be one of her favorite movies i love you keep going keep uh, going keep going I love the scene where she shows up and because she, she's gonna wow her ex-boyfriend that she's trying to win back and he's like what are you doing here and she's like i go here and he goes harvard and she goes yeah like it's hard oh <laughs> so, i just I that just, it is a lovely lovely movie and he's such a tool but anyway go ahead hey she perseveres i love it but um what we're talking about today is harvard sadly overcharging time spent working on a grant okay so um, the information um, we're sharing with you today comes from an article in inside higher ed it was written by um calling flattery on april 29th 2020 and the headline was harvard settles for 1.3 million dollars in grant fraud case and let me just drop in and say for Harvard, a $1.3 million, million settlement is like me going, no, 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 Amanda, I'll get that iced tea for you. Just, I got you. I mean, thirty <laughs> for that tea. <laughs> yeah, they have a billion dollar plus endowment. So let me just set the stage for that. So what happened was between 2009 and 2014, there's a lady named Donna Spiegelman. Um, she was a professor emerita of epidemiology 
let me say that again, epidemiology. Um, and so what happened was she was two grants, one where she was uh, a key personnel on a grant. And then there was another grant where her and her team were doing statistical analysis to help support another faculty member. Um, and so for both of these grant programs, she was overstating the time working on these grants. So maybe she worked an hour and was claiming two or three hours and those kinds of things. Okay. I believe she claimed um, a little bit more than two or three extra hours, but you go on with yeah. your So the grants were from the National Institutes of Health and the Health Resources and Services Administration. Um, and what happened was, so she's, you know, charging her time, overcharging them. And at Harvard, it was the Can School of Public Health um, that they didn't do a very timely review of her timekeeping. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. if you know anything about grants, you know, I, I always tell people when I teach grant management, I think one of the hardest things of grant management is people's time when you're using a grant to pay for somebody because it's making sure everybody fully understands what you can and can't charge to the grant, how it works, keeping track of the time, and making sure you do have somebody, a boss, or some, some, some system should be overseeing to make sure that the information you're sharing is accurate. And so part of the problem was not only that she was overcharging, but Harvard did not have a good system in place to come back and check that. Which, um, you so, know, you would think, I mean, again, I'm on my Judgy McJudgerston, uh, but I'm like, really, Harvard? Really? You know, every time I hear about large universities having these issues, and I'm thinking, man, if they, with all of their staff and with all of their yep. education, can't manage grants successfully, no wonder. <laughs> it's it's a struggle for a lot of people. So, yeah. And we're not saying it's right. We're not saying we agree oh, no. with layers upon layers of bureaucratic silliness that is often required and the layers and layers of documentation. But if you are in the federal grants game, those are the rules of the game for now. Maybe one day it will change, but that's where we're playing right now. And so you just need to be aware of that. And yeah, it sounds like no checks and balances were, were in place. Yeah, it, the article talks about several questions were raised over the years. It doesn't really say whether it was from the funder or whether internal sources, but either way, Harvard finally conducted an internal investigation and they were the ones who figured out yeah, this is what's going on. And so they went to their funders and said, hey, we've discovered these anomalies. We need to square it away. Um, and of course, what they did is they repaid the $1.3 million, which my guess that must have been the difference between the actual work committed yeah, and the fair. actual work reported. Um, and they also put in some additional safeguards to keep this from happening again in the future, which is smart. So, um, what's interesting about this, though, is that um, Donna, um, <laughs> oh. when all this was going on, she is now a faculty member at Yale. So she went from Harvard to Yale because um, you know that I'm because because I'm not gonna because yeah cause. oh my god I just can't I just can't I just can't. I and so this is a family podcast, but that is, <laughs> that is just some deep, deep BS right there. Yeah. Well, speaking through her lawyer, she stated that mm -hmm. Harvard did not speak with her before agreeing to the settlement and she still maintains her innocence. So, okay. Let's just know. say, let's say Donna, Donna, let's just say you're innocent, Donna. Okay. Then you still, there was some really crappy work done in terms of tracking time, which is a basic thing, right? I'm a consultant. Mm -hmm. I track my time. I use free stuff online to do so. It's not that hard. I'm just, and I'm so, yeah. And did she get fired? No, she, yeah, yeah. yeah is, that, you know, is that like a huge step down for, for Harvard 
maybe, <laughs> but I'm really not feeling sorry for Donna. In fact, Donna's kind of working my nerve, but please go ahead. Yes. So, well, and um, Michelle Williams, who's the dean of the faculty at the Chan School of Public Health, she said that uh, she will, all she would admit was that Harvard did find irregularities <sighs> in reporting on the grants in question. So that's, that's kind of Harvard's okay. line. So. Good, good for Ivy League for cleaning mm-hmm. its house. Bad for Ivy League for embracing the same person who did that, just at a different chain, like, right? You know, if you think about restaurant chains, this is just, this is the Ivy League chain of schools, and it's like Donna is doing her thing. So, Donna, Mm -hmm. hoping hoping you tighten that up a little bit. (laughs) So, (laughs) all I have to say is, when people say that, oh, it's no big deal, my timesheet, no, 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 it is a big deal. Pay attention, educate everybody, and make sure you have people... I'm just telling you right now, educate everybody because timesheets are going to hurt you if no one's paying attention. And also, you need to make sure that the people who are scrutinizing those timesheets and checking are not the same people whose evaluations for their work are beholding to the person that they're checking on. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. Just, mm-hmm. they, I'm just, I'm back to the cold. I'm back to Florida because, you know, I'm in Georgia. So what do we do? But, um, but, um, I'm back to Florida and it's like the people who were making decisions about this executive's compensation, uh, some of them were from the same agencies that received the money. So, you know, you know me, I'm, I can preach for days about power dynamics, but this is just another example. And, just need, and maybe maybe just setting up a spot check, right? I know we've talked about that in other episodes about grant management. Maybe if everybody knows that, that once a month there's going to be a spot check where you really dive into all sorts of things deeply and you never say which grant it is or which person, sometimes that can go a long way to helping people clean up their act. I'm just saying. Yep. Just throwing that out there. So as if... As if this wasn't enough, listeners, we have another one. So this is all about conflict of interest and foreign aid. And um, this is actually from a DOJ Department of Justice uh, media release from the end of last year, December 19th, 2019. And uh, the headline at the top was, Department of Justice researched $5.5 million settlement with Van Andel Research Institute to resolve allegations of undisclosed Chinese grants to two researchers. So here's what went down. The Van Andel Research Institute, I'm going to call them very, right, um, violated the False Claims Act by submitting federal grant applications and reports to the National Institutes of Health and failing to disclose Chinese government grants that funded two very researchers. So you may be like, well, what's the big deal? Well, in case you haven't noticed, things are tense and tight between China and the United States. And there are some rules and regulations in place about um, federal money being used. And hey, I'm all for us all singing Kumbaya and getting together, but that's not what's going down here. It was uh, something a little bit different, but Amanda, I know you had something to say. 
Well, and I was going to say, and it's not even the fact that they received these grants from China. It's that they failed to disclose. Disclose, right. So there were several opportunities, both through the original application process and through the reporting, where they are specifically asked, where is other funding for this research coming? And it's just, you know, the American government wants to make sure that you're not trying to serve two masters, you know? And so it's they're just wanting to be aware of it. Well, and there could be a conflict of interest there. And Absolutely. this was all, this was centered around biomedical research, so mm-hmm. per- an area particularly fraught with national nation versus nation competition. And I'm not saying that, that oh, we should always do that. I'm just saying that's the way it is. And you need to disclose these things if you're being asked. Again, if, you, if you're not comfortable disclosing different things and doing your things, then there's private funding. I mean, there are angel investors. There are all kinds of things, but federal money, lots and lots of strings attached, lots and lots of thought about this. And and also, it's it's really not fair to the other grant applicants who were on the up and up, I'm assuming. Or maybe they did disclose, well, we, we have uh, funding from this Chinese university for this or that. And maybe they got um, pushed to the side in favor of the um, the institute very that, um, that lied about it. Or I yeah, they lied or they omitted the truth, which, you know, if you want to split that hair, you just go ahead. <laughs> but it's the same. They're, they're kissing my parents. Can we say yeah. that? Can we say that? Yes. Uh, my parents would consider omissions uh, just as bad as lying when I was growing up. So oh, I, I, I learned that the law is no excuse. Exactly. So, um, and again, this is NIH funding and it, it's generally for super important things, super important things that benefit all of us. And just not a good time to fail to disclose foreign government funding. So False Claim Act penalties are harsh by design. They're there to discourage the kind of thing that I just told you. So that they, they, there are all kinds of reasons why sometimes countries just can't work together on certain things. And we just got to respect that when it comes to receiving federal funds for this kind of work. And it's also like they didn't include that because, you know, somebody knew that that was a bad idea to include. Oh, it, so they if you omitted it. Yeah. If you when you read the whole article, they the, the Department of Justice was like there was this memo and there was this press release and there was this. So like there was it was very glaring that they were accepting money from China. Um, but yet in their reports, they were like, nope, nope, all clear. So yeah, yeah. it's just. And you, can, I've had people make the argument with me in, in, in grants management classes and some grant writing classes too. I had someone tell me once who, who was, who was the chief of police for a, not a big city and not, not city of Atlanta, which is where I'm from right now. I was out of state and I was teaching and he's like, Hey, who's going to really know? whether or not we do this or not. And I'm standing there going, oh, this is so wrong on so many levels. And I finally just said, you know what, if it were me and I was in that position, I would know. I would know. And if I know, someone else is going to know. And if I know, I don't want anything to do with that because someone is going to – welcome to helloitswrong.com. But also, it's wrong and you will eventually get found out in in so many different ways. And so – when you go into it with that kind of attitude, I feel like you are just bucking for a headline like some of the ones we've already read out loud. And, and Amanda actually has a follow-up on one of our ripped from the headlines. 
I do. If you remember from uh, our episode in season two, we uh, had talked about the city of Atlanta. Um, they had a HUD grant, so that's Housing and Urban Development. Mm-hmm. And the amount of it was over a course of several years, but they had $101 million through the Housing Opportunities for Persons with AIDS, which is that Hopwa for short? Yeah, yeah. Hopwa. Um, but they, of that $101 million, they had $41 million that they were not able to spend, which meant there were housing subsidies for those who needed it that were unpaid. Um, there were a lot of, um, the city of Atlanta had partnered with a lot of agencies that were providing these ho- this housing, and so they were spending the money up front. And these were, these Amanda, these were grassroots agencies, often led by people of color in the communities where they served and lived, and they could not get the grants that they were already entitled to receive. Because yeah, so they're, yeah, they were putting all the, all this money out for housing. They're they taking out loans. Atlanta. They're yeah. taking out loans. It just, oh, it just chaps me. Go ahead. Yeah. And then Atlanta, even though they had the money, didn't go through the process and pay them back. So it, mm-hmm. not only were people with AIDS not getting the housing they need, but then you've got all these nonprofits who were going out on a limb, trusting Atlanta to help them. And they, it was just a hot mess all around. And I love my city, but come on, we can do better than this. We can do better. Well, and so we can do better. And so that story broke in July of 2019. And then so by the holidays, around Thanksgiving, the city of Atlanta, their mayor created a brand new position, director of grants. And this position was touted as someone, basically they were coming out saying, we need someone to come in here and streamline our grants process. We need them to clean it up. We need to keep things like this Hopwell grant fiasco from happening again. Um, And the reason I know this is because I saw the job posting. She did. I immediately was like, oh, this could kind of sort of be my dream job because she did, ladies and gentlemen, to be able to come in and run grants for a city as big as Atlanta. Because, you know, Atlanta is eligible for all kinds of grant funding just because of who they are. Right. And so to be able to come in and put, you know, the nerd in me is like, I could put all the management processes and pieces and all these things in place. And I just, you know, talked to a few people about it, trying to decide. Um, I ended up not applying mostly because the city of Atlanta is about 40 miles south of where I live. And it's which no joke. It's no joke. Yeah. Could be an hour or a three hour commute, just depending on the day and the time and one of those things. It's an hour 15 for me to come visit you without traffic and I'll do it. I do it all the time. You know, I I can't wait. I I can see it again, see you again. But yeah, it's no joke. Yeah. So uh, it, because of personal and family reasons, decided not to apply. Okay. So I kind of kept my ear. I was hoping to see who they'd hire, but hadn't heard anything. But then in May 19th of 2020, so, mm-hmm. you know, obviously a few months, there's an article in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. It was written by Stephen Deere. And the, the headline was, Head of Atlanta's New Grants Department Resigns After Four Months. Mm-hmm. Of course, Kimberly sent it my way, and she was like, "Yeah, I don't think this was your dream job." Um, so I take a read, and it was actually less than four months. Um, it was a, a gentleman by the name of uh, Nigel Roberts. They hired. He is out of Birmingham, Alabama. Well, out of Birmingham he, with twenty-five years of experience. This yes. was not his first rodeo. And while Birmingham's smaller than Atlanta, it's still a major city. Yes, and he specifically managed all of these HUD grants where they were needing clean up. 
Um, so he, at less than four months, he, he announced his resignation. Um, and his resignation came just three weeks after his director of planning and operations stepped down. Um, she was accusing top city officials of bullying and intimidating employees who refused to comply with unlawful orders. Mm-mm. Um, and so someone got a hold of her resignation letter, um, and she alleged that the problems with city's federal grants were much worse than they were previously known. She accused the city of misappropriating federal funds, interfering with the procurement process, and steering federal grant money to politically connected contractors. Now, of course, a statement from the mayor's office denies these allegations. And everything is under investigation, so yes. they are allegations, but wow. Yeah. Wow. So it's one of those things you've got, you know, the desire to clean it up. But I mean, how it's it, and we've, the experience. We've before. Oh, and yeah. Experience. Yeah. Yeah. But we've talked before about how difficult it can be working with your peers, trying to get them to understand the rules of grants and the roles of grants. And mm. but I just can't even imagine how hard it is when the people you're struggling against are going to be your elected officials. They're ultimately your boss. They are in charge. They've been elected by the people. And if they are refusing to follow the rules, I don't think you have any choice but to resign. Well, right? I, yeah, I think that Mr. Roberts did the right thing. Mm-hmm. But it's now, unfortunate. He, it's unfortunate. Now, he didn't make any claims. He just, you know, he just said that his family had decided they were not going to relocate from Birmingham. And so he was heading back home. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, it was his director of um, planning and operations who she very clearly said, here's the problem. So, yeah. And again, you know, I may not even have gotten an interview if I had applied for that job. So who knows? But it just, <laughs> I was just like, you know what? Sometimes. Yeah, that's um, closed the way they're supposed to. And oh, thank goodness. <laughs> I didn't even bother applying because, yeah, oh, yeah. that's, yeah, that's going to take more than one grant person cleaning that up. And it's, it's going to be hard. Actually, it's, it's going to take more than grant people, if you will. It's going to take from the top down going, we need to clean yes. this up. We need to do right. And it's not even about, okay, sure it is about big salaries or whatever, but it's also about getting the money to where it needs to be to do the good thing. Yes. Yes. It's just, I mean, it's sadly, these are just a few of the many examples out there of grant fraud. And I mean, it happens on all levels. Obviously the really big lurid juicy ones are the ones we're going to talk about on rip from the headlines. Um, but it just happens everywhere. Universities, local governments, nonprofits, and um, it's, it can be a real problem. Yeah. Sadly, individuals steal, organizations drop the ball, people don't do their jobs, they don't fulfill the promises they make when they sign award agreements. And sometimes it's from lack of know-how and experience. Um, I'm sure we've all made mistakes, especially early on in your career, things you didn't know. Um, But then also sometimes people know better and they do it anyway. It's frustrating, it's irritating, and it's really got to stop. I concur. I also want to just to say again, it, it only hurts the, well, actually, yes, it hurts the people that the grants are meant to serve, right? That's a given, but it also hurts people who are trying to do the good work and trying to write those grants and get that money because that money is wasted and it, or it's recklessly or illegally spent. And when these things come to light, that erodes 
trust that people have built into federal agencies. Um, I'm not talking about elected officials. I'm talking about federal agencies whose job it is to, to funnel this money appropriated and awarded through um, acts uh, uh, and Congress to the states, to these different nonprofits to get this work done. It erodes confidence. It um, discourages people from wanting to go into grants or grants management. The very super mm-hmm. detailed, nerdy people of my heart who could um, hold people accountable. So it just, it hurts everyone. And it's also, it's, it hurts you because even if you have nothing to do, you think with federal grant money, I just want you to think a minute about where that, all that money comes from. And it comes from taxpayers. And so it is your money. Yeah. So um, just Keeping that in mind, it's 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 kind of fun sometimes to go, oh, look what they did. But at the same time, it's like there are bigger consequences. Yeah. And I know it's easy for us to stand on our moral high ground from behind the mic. But trust me when I say that I speak for both of us here. Kimberly and I, both over our careers, do everything in our power with our grant experience and our know-how and we'll continue to do do so to make sure that we're following the right rules and regulations and that as we work with clients moving forward that we continue to educate them as well um, because we understand the purpose of grant funding and our role in the process. It's true. And, and we are proud to know hundreds of others, and there are thousands of others grant professionals yeah. out there who feel the same way. You know, I'm an introvert, so I'm not going to be having thousands and thousands of friends because that's crazy. But I'm just saying, I know you're out there and I know you're doing great work. And um, please keep going and keep trying to do the right thing. And remember, there is no specific college degree in grant writing or fundraising, but there are a lot of good people with experience to share, training programs, and other ways to learn. We'd love for this podcast to be part of your professional development lineup. Please check out our new website at www.fundraisingheyday.com. That's H-A-Y-D-A-Y dot com, where you can subscribe to our podcast, read our latest blog posts, and so much more. Thank you again to our Season 3 sponsor, D.H. Leonard Consulting and Grant Writing Services. We appreciate their support in making grants less stressful. Visit their website, dhleonardconsulting.com, to learn more. Now stay tuned for upcoming episodes this season. In two weeks, we're talking about the road less traveled. Ooh. I know. No one really thinks they're going to be a grant professional when they grow up. So how have so many of us landed in this career? Stories vary, and we've got a few to tell. Until then, my friends, be well. Bye now. Bye. Bye.